Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Dishing with Digest. I'm Stephanie Sloan, Editorial Director, here with Mara Levinsky, Senior Editor. Hi, everyone. So Mara, Chriselle Staus is reprising the role of Jordan on Days for a few days, and I spoke to her recently about coming back. Now, let's start with the fact that it was the first time I had spoken to her since Selling Sunset, um, our favorite show, became a huge hit during the pandemic, and Chriselle basically became a household name. You know, she then joined Dancing with the Stars and was thrust even more into the spotlight. But really, Chriselle was the same as she has always been, adorable and kind, and so excited to be back in Salem. So she told me that it's been her dream to be on a soap since she was young, so anytime the show asks her back, she will be there. She also said, which I thought was so cute, that a lot of the people came up to her at the set and told her they were voting for her on Dancing with the Stars, and then others asked her for some selling Sunset Scoop, which I also loved. Well, I love that too, and would have been right there with them. Uh, you know, I have known Chriselle since 2005 when she was brand new to All My Children and we went out to lunch and I did what may well have been her first interview, but certainly was one of her first interviews. And I just fell so in love with her. You know, she is just one of the warmest hearted people. And even as her profile has risen, she has remained such a truly sweet person. Now I have to say that I felt very happy for her when watching uh, the season of Selling Sunset that came out over the course of the pandemic because back in the day, she really did not want to talk in depth or on the record uh, about what the press might like to call her humble beginnings, which included periods of homelessness. I think it's so nice to see that she has shed whatever shame she might have had uh, surrounding that back when I first met her and is talking about it so openly and so publicly because it is part of her story. And as a public figure, uh, I think she really has an opportunity to spark some important conversations and also to really inspire with how much success she has had, not only in soaps, but in high-end real estate, and neither of those industries being particularly easy to break into, I might add. So I am looking forward to seeing her upcoming scenes, which because I read your interview, I know will be opposite Robert Scott Wilson, who plays her Salem brother, Ben. Yes, uh, Jordan will visit Ben from the great beyond, if you will, and act as his conscience. So that will definitely be a tune in moment. Um, on a similar note, though this incorporates real life, uh, Young and Restless is doing a special episode in which Genoa City will remember Neil Winters, played by the late Christoph St. John. So after Christoph's untimely death in February of 2019, you know, Neil passed away on the show, and now we're going to see Devon, Lily, Moses, and a host of other GCers pay tribute to him. And I have to tell you, I had chills 
reading the story in our issue. You know, just the way Brighton James, who plays Devon, and Crystal Khalil, who plays Lily, speak of Kristoff is so unbelievably touching. And, you know, they were both so happy to see that his legacy looms so large in everyone's eyes still, and that the show remembers Neil and Kristoff in such meaningful ways. I think YNR really does a lovely job of honoring key cast members who've passed away. You know, over the years since uh, Gene Cooper uh, passed away, we've seen a lot of tributes to Catherine Chancellor, the dedication of the park and so forth. And of course, when Kristoff passed away so tragically, the show did a beautiful job with Neil's memorial service. And now we've got this episode that we're talking about, which will allow the people who were important to Neil's life to reflect on his legacy and the significance of the relationships that they had with him. You know, everyone who's a long-term daytime watcher, understands the value and importance of the vets, as we call them. Uh, you watch the show because of the vets, and maybe in so doing, you come to like some of the newer characters as well, and then in time, if all goes well, they become vets, and the cycle begins anew. But it, it's kind of rare that a show incorporates these kinds of tributes in an ongoing way. I wish more shows did it. You know, I certainly love every time someone mentions Edward or Lila on GH or Steve Hardy or uh, Lee and Gale. But I would love it even more if it happened more regularly. You know, just as in real life, we sort of continue to talk about the people that we've lost whose absences we feel deeply. Oh, I completely agree. I mean, these characters hold such a special place in all of our hearts. And the shows have the unique opportunity to do episodes like this since they have like, you know, 260 or so to play with each year. You know, I would love to see this kind of care and attention paid to other dearly departed favorites because it really reconnects you in a way back to why you started watching the shows in the first place. Yeah. Um, now, something else these shows have the unique opportunity to do is to go back into their history and bring on characters from the past to spark current story. Days did that with Jan, played by Heather Lindell, who is our guest today. And I can't help but feel it was a stroke of genius on Ron Carlovati's part to use Jan again. I mean, she hadn't gone from the canvas for like 16 years, but he brought her back with bang after bang. In that same vein, you know, he recently did it with Dan Wells, who reprised the role of Stan for the first time since 2005. I mean, these are gifts to longtime viewers, for sure. Oh, 100%. You know, Jan wasn't on, like, super duper long, but she was such a high-impact character, uh, as was Stan. Uh, I think the way they've both been used in Current Story is a perfect nod to their past, and I think it is always going to pay off more to use someone the audience knows to stir things up. That is something I really appreciate about Ron's writing, you know, his embrace of familiar faces. When he was head writing at GH, I feel like barely a month went by before he was bringing someone back, you know, Heather Weber, Holly Sutton, Lucy Coe, Faison. And there's nowhere else on television that you can do that, you know, that you can let uh, 10, 15, 20, 30 years go by before you bring someone back to the same show. So why wouldn't you take advantage of something that is an advantage of daytime and the longevity of all four of the remaining shows? Well, I hope more shows take advantage of it because it really is such a great opportunity both for the audience and the actors who come back. As we said, Jan's return has been pretty high impact. So let's get Heather on the line and see how she feels about returning to Salem. Hi, Heather. Hi. How you doing? I am doing great. How about you? Good. Well, we are so happy that you could join us today. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here talking to you guys. So let's start with your childhood. You're a Los Angeles native, but you don't come from a showbiz family as I understand it. 
So what were the earliest signs you can recall that you were destined to become a performer? Uh, yeah, so really before I remember being able to <laughs> speak complete sentences, um, I was told stories from my family about my need and incessant need to perform constantly singing <laughs> and dancing. So at any family function, um, I grew up with older sisters and so much older, nine and 11 years older and family would always come over for different, you know, barbecues or birthdays or holiday events or what have you. And I would constantly as a kid, you know, have everybody congregate and sit on the sofa and watch me sing <laughs> and watch me dance. And, and, and my parents called me Sarah Bernhardt. And it was, you know, and so really it was my whole life. Um, that was what I loved. That's what I gravitated towards. That was my interest from, again, really before I was old enough to even understand what was going on. It was that thing that I was, I gravitated towards music and song and performing. And that was kind of always my thing. So you filmed your first commercial for Teen Talk Barbie when <laughs> I think, I think it came out when you were like 13. Um, so when and how did you first get an agent and start to pursue acting professionally beyond, you know, the free shows you would do for family and friends? <laughs> so, so early after the free shows, my mm -hmm. mom, my mom was like, all right, this probably isn't the best forum for her to be expressing her art. So we're going to get her into children's theater. So, I mean, pr pretty young and, you know, in elementary school, I was doing a lot of um, not professional, but, but really wonderful outlets and, and musical theater, children's theater in and around Los Angeles. And it was wonderful. And I have amazing memories. And we did shows like, you know, classics, Wizard of Oz, Annie, you know, little tidbits from Phantom. I mean, um, I was exposed to a lot of that kind of stuff growing up, which was awesome. And then I, you know, I don't know when the agent thing happened, but I, I would say pretty young, probably fourth grade or so. I remember um, my first agent, yeah, I was on like somewhere in Hollywood. Um, and my mom took me, we, we did the pictures, we, you know, we did the whole thing and I started auditioning. And that Barbie commercial was, was, I remember the set. I remember feeling like it was such a big deal. Um, and you know, it was ironic because then the, the commercial <laughs> came, uh, on the market and there was all kinds of like scufflebutt about the Barbie who talks saying inappropriate things and <laughs> kind of sexist things. Cause the, the Barbie would say, you know, math is hard. <laughs> Let's go to the mall. <laughs> and so there was a lot of backlash actually against that, um, that, that particular Barbie, which I'm positive is and was discontinued. But um, the commercial, I think you can still look up on YouTube and it's hilarious if you want to look it up and see me in all of my wide-eyed frizzy hair glory. Um, it's very, very funny. Teen Talk Barbie commercial from 1990 or whatever year we shot that. Love it. Um, now you also did some other commercials when you were young, um, including for Pizza Hut and Nike. So what do you remember about those commercials and just being a part of those brands? Yeah, the Pizza Hut one I remember was was crazy. I remember it was a nighttime shoot um, and we had take, there were tons of extras. And you know, whenever you're on a set and there's so many extras and you're not one of the extras, you're like, wow, this is such a big deal. <laughs> um, 
I, I remember the, the, I shot it with another um, girl um, into the wee hours of the night with lots of craft services. And it was, it was actually a really big production. Um, yeah, I haven't even thought about that commercial in so long. It's funny that you brought that one up. That's what we're here for. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. They were great. They were, they were great experiences. And I never had to leave school, you know, for a long period of time um, when I was young. And I was always able to kind of manage doing both things. And yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, um, because you were doing commercials um, and perhaps pursuing other acting roles, do you feel that you had like a quote unquote normal high school experience? Or were you going out on auditions, which is maybe not typical of most teenagers? I don't think you can categorize my high school experience as normal. Uh -huh. um, I think I've had I think I've had enough time and space away from from my high school experience, and now having children to know that my high school experience was probably not the average. And I say that only because I went to a private school in Los Angeles. So that in and of itself, even if you take acting out of it, mm -hmm. that that's not the normal experience and I was surrounded by a lot of things that are definitely not normal and um you know we can go on and on about that but right but so that part wasn't normal but yet it was normal because I, I was you know in school it was a college prep school so like the academic part of it was really hard and I it was actually really difficult to manage the expectation of having to get such good grades at this really competitive private high school and also do my art and the thing that made me happy and, and trying to balance doing both of those things. I always felt a little bit of, you know, pressure is probably too strong of a word, but I, I even from a young age was always balancing doing both of those things. Mm -hmm. Well, you, uh, they, you were, well, you were college prepped to perfection because you went to college, you got your degree in musical theater from UCLA. But while you were still an undergrad, you notched some pretty impressive credits. And um, first of those is you starring opposite the incomparable Mary-Kate and <laughs> Ashley Olsen in the 2002 direct-to-video flick, Getting There, which has the tagline, Sweet 16 and Licensed to Drive. Oh so God. I am a true Olsen twin aficionado, and I need you to tell me everything about this experience. <laughs> um, this actually was is was an incredible experience. I remember getting cast in this. I remember showing up late. I always have weird audition stories. <laughs> this one in particular, this is before the time of iPhone and navigation. And my <laughs> my callback for this was in Beverly Hills, but I it was somewhere like between you know Santa Monica and Little Santa Monica. And let me just tell you, I was really confused and I could not figure out where to go and somehow got connected with my friend, my, one of my best friends still to this day, um, Blair from UCLA, who ended up having to like, get in the driver's seat and be like, calm down, look at your lines. I'm driving you. And he, he got me there and like I ran in, I think he was double parked. I did my audition, totally frazzled, um, which, you know, was probably better because I got it. <laughs> and the experience was great. We, we were on uh, we shot a lot here in LA out in Westlake, but then I think at some point we went to Vegas. No, we did. We did go to Vegas. We shot half of it in Vegas and they were great. I mean, they were, you know, I mean, everywhere we went, they were bombarded um, by, by people. And you really saw a glimpse of how hard that must've been for them growing up to not, you know, 
be able to go anywhere without being recognized. Um, but the shoot was really fun. I think I, I turned 21 on the set of that, even though I think I was playing like 16. <laughs> um, and I remember celebrating my birthday with them and going out to dinner and having a really fun, close knit uh, community feel with that cast. Oh, I can only imagine Mara's permagrin that's happening right mm -hmm. now. <laughs> well, the summer before your senior year of college, you made your Broadway debut in Hairspray. So as an aspiring musical theater star, what was it like to actually, you know, star on Broadway in a smash hit musical? So the Hairspray experience was crazy for a lot of reasons. It, it wasn't only getting cast in it, it's how many times I had to audition before getting cast. Um, I had been auditioning for that show for it, what felt like a year. Um, and I think initially I was, I was up for and auditioning for the national tour. And uh, gosh, I had so many callbacks. I remember at one point them asking me to come to New York for um, one of my callbacks. So I came to New York for one of my callbacks. And then I didn't, you know, it, it, and it was a final, like one of those final auditions where there's tons of people in the room. And then I didn't hear anything. And then at some point they flew me to New York again to audition again. And this time I remember walking in the room and there being like what felt like at least 40 people in the room, producers, you know, every producer that had their hands in it at all was there to like help make the decision. Um, and then again, I didn't hear anything. And um, I had decided to go to New York and stay in the NYU dorms for a summer in between my junior and senior year of college, just with a girlfriend and just to see what it was like. So I was waiting tables at the Union Square um, restaurant coffee shop, the coffee shop, which is no longer in existence and just living and waitressing and just living there. And I randomly got a call from the Broadway company that they needed a vacation swing and would I do it? And I couldn't even believe it. <laughs> um, and then I spent that whole summer and a little bit into my senior year because I, I, I remember coming back to UCLA late because I was still doing the show. Um, and I spent that whole summer working on that show and it was an incredible experience. I mean, every step of the way, it was a lot of work. It was really hard. I was there alone. I didn't, you know, have, you know, at the end of the long day, I wasn't seeing my family. Um, I was just in a dorm. And then I think at one point the dorms were over and I had to figure out where to go. And so I stayed in this random person's apartment. <laughs> you know, it was really like a New York experience where I was just figuring it out and doing it. And yeah, I got to meet Harvey Firestein and, and, you know, I was in the cast with him and Matthew Morrison and Shoshana Bean and like all of the original cast members. Um, and it was just one of those surreal dream like moments because they had just, you know, won the Tony for, for best musical. And I think they won best everything. And then here I am, this 21 year old girl from LA in the show. And it was, it was incredible. It was so great. Pretty amazing. So the role of uh, Jan on Days first came to your attention as you were approaching your graduation day. So tell us your casting story from beginning to what I know is a dramatic end. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, so this was pretty crazy too. Um, I was preparing 
for my, I was, you know, so Hairspray's over, I'm back finishing my senior year of UCLA, and I'm a musical theater major and preparing my thesis um, of song and dance. We had to, our, our senior project was um, kind of creating a one-person show, um, and, you know, the theme of mine was kind of like, goodbye, LA, I'm going to New York, you know, <laughs> great white way, and I'm going to move to New York and do Broadway, and, and, um, and then I got, I think I auditioned that morning. Uh, I did for Fran Bascom. And uh, I got the call. I don't remember if it was right before I went. I was doing my, my, my show um, with my family all in the audience or after. But at some point I got the call that I needed to get to the studio right away for my test. And, you know, I told my agent, I'm doing a show <laughs> currently and it's, you know, it's my senior year and I have my whole family in the audience and all my professors. I can't, I really can't right now. Um, so they, they said I could be late and I, I believe I was about like two hours late for the screen test um, for days and for this role. And it, yeah, it was one of those things where there was so much traffic coming from UCLA to get to Burbank and we were already two hours late. I remember being in the back seat with my sister and my parents were in the front and we were all stressed and it was a high intense <laughs> drive <laughs> because we're coming down the canyon and we're all yelling and ah, you know this car cut us off and go 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 and we're late <laughs> and I'm sitting there trying to learn the lines and a lot of frenetic energy going on. Um, but yeah, I hopped out, did the screen test, and I think I got the call the next day that I, that I got it. Um, now, did you have any familiarity with the show? Were you a soap fan? Did you know anything from days? I did not. I grew up with my, my sister sometimes had on, um, her soap was Guiding Light. Mm. Um, An old uh, soul. Yeah. Was that the one with like Lily? No, that was as the world turns. Oh, maybe I'm getting them confused. So it was one of the two. Um, but that was really my only exposure to, to soaps. Um, and I remember when my sister would have it on and I would be in the room because I was nine and a half years younger, my mom would always think it was inappropriate and <laughs> yell at my sister to shut it off. Like, she shouldn't be watching this. Turn it off. <laughs> that, was, that was really it. Um, but, you know, I just came from a place where I'm like, okay, the, the, the breakdown of Jan was pretty clear, right? And so I just came from it, you know, from more of an acting perspective, not really knowing any of the other characters and just focusing on, um, you know, her and, you know, the fact that she was a very strong, nutty, intense character. <laughs> then is now. Yeah. Um, so you came in as, as a recast. Um, and we're really kind of like thrown into a lot of big story. But what do you remember about your very first day? A lot. I remember a lot about my first day. Um, I remember, um, I believe my first day or one of my very first days, I was in overalls and a welder's cap welding the cage around the bed. <laughs> and I thought to myself, what? is going on here <laughs> what is happening um i remember i remember at one point um funny story i believe that they hadn't yet 
told the other actress, whose name was also Heather, playing Jan, that she was released from the role and she showed up to work the same day I did. And I remember being kind of taken around the the hallway kind of forcefully and told to wait, um, I think so that I didn't run into her because she was passing. <laughs> they didn't want either her to see me or me to see her. Um, so I remember that. And then, yeah, I remember um, working with Ari in the beginning, uh, mostly, and us just having a ton of laughs and a ton of fun and feeling like, wow, this is, you know, this is a great set and a great, a great place to work. Well, what were you thinking at that point? I mean, if you didn't really know much about soap operas, this is ongoing story. So it could have been, you could have been there for years. You could have been there for a short period of time. Were you, were you thinking about that when you signed on? No, I just think because, I don't know, when you're, when you're 20 or 21, I just was rolling with it. And I didn't really have expectations of, of anything. Um, but I, I knew that I was having a ton of fun. And of course I had seen all these characters that had been on for, you know, I mean, it's funny cause no, I, I hadn't watched the show, but I still knew so many of the faces, right? Like Ali Sweeney's face. I'm like, Oh yeah. And you know, Deidre Hall. And you know, these are faces that you're, I don't know anything about the show yet. For some reason, I feel like I know these people. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I mean, there was definitely that. And then of course, you know, as, as time went on and as the year went on and I, I would watch with my biggest fans, my parents, and they were like, oh, Heather, you're great in this role. You're great in this role. You're going to be on this show forever. You're, you're, they're never going to get rid of you. You're, you're fantastic. <laughs> Cut to like six months later, <laughs> gone for 16 years. <laughs> your, so. your absence from days is itself sweet 16 and licensed to drive. <laughs> what a full circle. Wow. 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 You, you took over, as you mentioned, like right when Jan was getting her, her love prison ready. I'm using the show's parlance from back in the day. Um, and uh, it was such a like soap-alicious, high-profile story at the time. She's keeping Sean hostage. Uh, and uh, it was Jason Cook who was the Sean that was Jan's object of obsession at the time to tell us about working with him and under circumstances that might themselves be perceived as a little awkward you you know yeah holding the man hostage <laughs> yeah he was great you know he had been on the show for of course a lot longer than I had coming into it so I mean he was very relaxed into it he made me feel very comfortable and I remember just we having we had a lot of laughs we laughed a lot we um we hung out, you know, you know, at that time, uh, pre-COVID times, you can hang out in each other's dressing rooms. And, and we did, we were, we became really just buddies. Um, I remember, you know, after I think a year being on the show, he happened to be going to Europe. I happened to be going to Europe. We ended up like meeting in Europe and like traveling Europe together for a couple of weeks. Um, and we, of course, have lost touch, but, um, <clears throat> but yeah, I mean, we, we had a great time, I think, working together and definitely um, had a friendship, which made it a lot easier to do these really uncomfortable, wacky things because I trusted him and, um, thought of him kind of like a, a brother or something. And so we, I, I had that level of trust where it was, it was just fun to be very open and, and take risks. Mm -hmm. Um, now Jan's romantic rival, Belle was played by, I believe, Kirsten when you started, Kirsten Storms, and then Martha Madison took over. So tell us what each of the Bells were like to work with. 
Kirsten was great. Martha <clears throat> is amazing. I loved working with both of them. I um, also became very good friends with both of them um, in my time working with both of them, which also just kind of like Jason, having this kind of off-camera friendship with the characters made it a lot easier to, to play and, and just to really hone in um, and take risks on, on screen. <clears throat> but yeah, I mean, at Kirsten, we had such a good time. Again, we were so young. Um, and I remember also running around town with, with Kirsten, going to Vegas and out to fancy dinners and just like really living it up, kind of like Hollywood style when we were first on the show. Um, and then she left and there was a crazy recast situation that happened. And then there was a another bell for a day or two. And then Martha came and it was such a <clears throat> fresh breath because we were so nervous because Kirsten's a hard recast, right? I mean, not only Belle, the character, she's such an iconic character that, that grew up on the show, but then Kirsten is Kirsten. And, you know, she had this whole other kind of career and all these other movies. And so it, it was, a, I think, I think it was a very probably stressful recast for, um, for everyone. And so to be able to find Martha, who is such an incredible actor, um, it's, it's such a good thing for the show and the role and, <clears throat> and yeah, she's awesome. You know, I also feel at that time that the group of you were pretty close. You worked to get, you know, with so many of, um, sort of the younger cast and Mara and I always talk about how that was a real sort of renaissance for the show in terms of creating another generation and they really did so well, but I feel like we had a Christmas shoot where you all, you guys got together and did a gift exchange or something. I don't know. Oh yeah. Yeah. We, we hung like Eric winter. Um, oh my God. Kyle. Sarah, Kyle, Jason. Um, yeah, we hung, we hung out Alexis. Like we were hanging hard. <laughs> it was the crew of us. We, we would hang out all the time. And um, yeah, we did. We also did this crazy shoot on an um, NBC that mocked kind of like the friends. Do you remember that? The friends yes, kind of photo shoot. Mm -hmm. That was really fun too. Yeah, it was, it was such a great, uh, such a great time. Mm -hmm. Cause they really invested so, in this group and fortunately you all also got along. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That could have gone either which way as they say. <laughs> yeah. Well, tragically, Jan was written out in 2005 when she suffered cardiac arrest and was rendered comatose. So uh, I'm sure this was a blow to your parents, but how did you feel uh, about that first day's run coming to an end? You know, it was one of those things that you kind of take the good with the bad and you're able to understand when you're playing a villain that you can't be on the show forever. And, and that's not the nature of your character, right? I'm not, I'm not the hero. So the villain is the villain and everybody wants to see the villain kind of get what's coming to him or her. So that I understood. I was a little upset that I didn't get the cake because everyone who left the show got a cake. Cool. I don't remember getting a cake. Um, but besides that, um, I really just was grateful for the experience and the time that I, that I spent on the show and the friendships that I was able to make and, and that I was ever able to be on the show at all. And, and I did walk away from that experience with nothing but 
um, good vibes and, and grateful feelings. And of course, with the hope that one day I would, um, I would come back to Salem. I gave up hope after year 10, by the way, <laughs> just so you guys know, I was hopeful for like a solid 10 years. I still like in the like back of my mind, I was like, well, it's possible. But, but definitely after year 10, I was like, nope, never going to happen. <laughs> now, when you um, ended that run, it was your first time as a college graduate now, uh, you know, not bound to Los Angeles, I guess. Um, and available for hire. So did you stay in LA or did you head back to New York to try to do more musical theater? Interestingly enough, the first Emmys that I went to, um, and this just kind of goes to show that my time on days became a little full circle as far as my life, right? My, my, my current life, because the first Emmys that I ever went to, Kirsten and I went out um, a bunch of times and I ended up meeting my husband in New York. Um, <laughs> And uh, then we were long distance as I was finishing up that year on the show. And so when the show came to an end, it was kind of a natural decision because obviously not only did I love musical theater and I had done Broadway before, but now I'm in this relationship. Um, so I did move to New York and, and I was in New York um, for a while on and off, I would say kind of back and forth um, from from 2005 until about 2011. Um, now you have a few days work on As the World Turns on your resume. So what do you remember about that experience? So I was living in New York and I ran into Austin Peck. I, I don't remember if you're like at a dog park or just on the streets of New York, but I remember just running into him in a very random way. Um, and we got to talking because of course I had remembered him from working with him, um, in Los Angeles. And he had mentioned that he was on as the world turns and asked me what I was doing. And I was explaining just, you know, waitressing, auditioning for, um, for, for Broadway stuff, doing gigs here and there. And I think he was kind enough just to reach out to the casting directors for as the world turns, letting them know that uh, I was in town and living here now and local and uh, in New York. And they called me and called my agents with um, uh, a role to shoot. I think I was shooting, you know, over the course of a week or so. Kind of similar, um, a similar vein to, to a Jan Spears, kind of a gun-wielding, uh, jealous maniac. Um, <laughs> so I remember, uh, I remember working on that show. And it was interesting because I remember the, uh, the set was a little bit far out. I can't quite remember, but it was like Brooklyn or somewhere, somewhere like that. Deep in the heart of Brooklyn in Midwood. Deep in the heart of Brooklyn. So I remember heading to that set and, uh, you know, it, it feeling very similar to days in a lot of ways, but very, very different also. Um, and I wasn't there very long, but very grateful to Austin Peck for, for hooking that up. Um, and great to just, you know, continue to corner the market on uh, the maniacs because we, we always need one of those in daytime. So uh, in 2010, you returned to Broadway in the revival of La Caja Faux starring Kelsey Grammer. So that was probably another really intense audition experience. But tell us about landing that part and about that uh, experience in general. So that was such an incredible experience from start to finish. The difference with this, um, with, with La Cage was that I was part of the original cast. So I got to do incredible things like, you know, perform at the Tonys with the cast. We, you know, I was part of the original cast album. 
Um, and really in the discovery of, of, of the cast here and of the rehearsal process here. Um, and to be able to watch Kelsey Grammer kind of get into that role and Doug Hodge, who is incredible and a dear friend. He um, was the Alban in the West End, um, the, the Minier Chocolate Factory. The, the show came from the Minier Chocolate Factory in London and they brought it uh, over to, to Broadway. And so he was the only, uh, Nicholas Cunningham, our dance captain, and Doug Hodge, um, the main character, came uh, from London and then they cast all the other parts locally in, in New York. Um, and it, it was one of those things I had just, we had just gotten married, Josh and I had just gotten married and we had just kind of returned from our honeymoon. And then I had, you know, found out that rehearsals were starting and that I had gotten the role and it was, it was, it was wonderful. The show ended, I think a little bit, you know, early, um, it, it, but it was a smash hit. And so I was in the show, I would say for over a year, which, you know, on Broadway, you know, it's, it's, it's a good run when you, when you have a show, eight shows a week that can stay open for that long. And fortunately enough for me, I was the understudy to the main um, principal role of Anne. And um, at some point towards the end of the <clears throat> run, I was, um, our Anne left and, and I was promoted to that, to that role. So it was just such a family um, of actors and, you know, there's this song um, uh, that Alban sings and with the cast about the best of times. And we all say it, but it truly was the best of times for all of us. Well, what a like uh, major time in your life between that show and your new marriage. But I want to hear about the wedding, please. <laughs> Our wedding? Yeah, we, we got married in Palm Springs at the Riviera. And it was so great because I'm from Los Angeles. He's from Princeton, New Jersey. So it was kind of, we all took over the hotel. And it was just, half the hotel was from LA, half the hotel was from New York. And it was just a big party. Um, from Thursday to Sunday, it was just a lot of fun and a really big party. And then we, we were able to go to South Africa for our honeymoon on safari. And we did Cape Town and the wineries in Stellenbosch and um, Kruger National Park. And my husband cried when we left because he didn't want to leave. Let's put it that way. He was really, it was, it was a moving experience. That honeymoon was, yeah, it was, we, think about it all the time and, and we we want to go back one day it was pretty awesome um well then how long did you stay in new york and how did you wind up back in la so we were after the show ended i did um a, a really wonderful show at the guthrie theater in minneapolis uh with joe dowling who's the artistic director and it was a Gilbert and Sullivan um, musical called HMS Pinafore, and I played the lead Josephine, and that was awesome. And then we, my husband owns barbershop speakeasies um, called Blind Barber, and he has some in um, New York and now all over in many different states. But at the time, he wanted to expand to Los Angeles. So we came to Los Angeles for just a quick stint while he built his Culver City location. But then um, while we were in LA, I happened to get pregnant and um, we kind of just made the decision to um, that Los Angeles was 
probably the best place for us to be. Um, my mom also at the time got diagnosed with um, ovarian cancer. And so there was no way I was going to, to leave her and not, not be here. There was too much of a reason to stay in LA and, and we've, we've been here ever since. So you had your first son in 2012. Mr. Desmond, and you now have a second son named Bo as well. Um, and at some point, I think when they were young, you kind of made this pivot career shift and started working in real estate. <laughs> so tell us about the genesis of that. So um, I grew up watching my dad manage apartment buildings and he did everything himself. He, he you know, bought these apartment buildings. I think he started with one and then you know, eventually had two and then three. And I would watch him really count the quarters from the laundry machine and show up, you know, with his toolbox to fix people's sinks and um, collect the rents. And, and, and I just watched the progression of, of, you know, what he did. And it was just a, kind of part of my childhood. And then when I met Josh, you know, my husband who opened these businesses, he would negotiate his leases and he would do these big build outs. And I, I would kind of just on the sidelines hear that negotiation process and what that was to take over a space and open it up. And it was just something that was always in my life that I found fascinating. Um, and in one of the breaks between living in New York and Los Angeles, I had gotten my license, my real estate license. I think it was pretty early, like in 2006 or five even. And I started initially um, doing some commercial leasing and leasing out spaces to, to businesses, much like um, bar owners or office spaces. And then I kind of quickly realized that I didn't love commercial real estate. Um, I then went back to New York and did Lacage. Um, but after having my, my kids, I really wanted something flexible. I wanted something that I could be a mom and yet make money and, and do something that I had control over. And as an actor, as we all know, you have such a limited amount of control of, you know, when you get to work oftentimes. And so um, to have that kind of control and be a mom was something that was, I really, I really needed that in my life or wanted that. So I made the switch to residential about, I would say, Bo, I think I had just had him. And I think he was only six months old. And I, I um, he's now he's going to be seven. Um, and I remember just jumping in head first and, and, uh, training with pretty big residential, uh, real estate agents in Los Angeles and Beverly Hills and shadowing and just learning. Um, and I, you know, I spent the first couple of years not really doing any deals, but really watching and soaking up all the knowledge of what it is to, to be a luxury real estate agent in Los Angeles and what you have to do and how you have to behave and what to say and what not to say. And, um, I made that, that shift and that transition and slowly over the you know course of these last seven, eight years have built my business very organically, very um, kind of like with a no, no pressure um, on myself to make it anything other than what, what it is, which is just helping people when they need help. And it's been really, it's been really great. And it's, it's grown into something that has far surpassed my expectations when I started. Mm -hmm. Now, I mean, while working real estate sort of on the earlier years, I mean, did you put acting on hold or were you still dipping your toes into the business and auditioning? No, I mean, I think I was really just kind of exploring still both. But I, I think once I had my kids, um, I, I mean, I was definitely still auditioning for commercials and, and, and things of that nature. But I think once I had my kids, I didn't have 
I just didn't have the stamina to audition like that anymore. You know, I just didn't have the getting in your car and driving to Santa Monica at five o'clock on a Friday <laughs> to say one line with, you know, 20 other people who actually don't even look anything like you because the casting director doesn't even know what he wants for the role. And then driving home and then my kids are hungry and I'm like, what am I doing? Like, I don't know, no. So, it, and it's not that I don't want to act and it's not that I don't fancy myself an actor because once an actor, always an actor. But I just think I got to a certain place in my life where, where the, um, I just didn't, I didn't have the, the hustle for it like I once did. And so if I was going to hustle for something, it had to be something that honestly was just going to put food on the table to, you know, more brass tacks. So that's what I did. And, and um, again, not to say that I wouldn't act or, you know, act anytime an acting opportunity came to me, but I'm not going to audition for commercials all the way across town anymore. I just, I'm not. <laughs> Yeah. Neither am I. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like it. it just doesn't sound fun. <laughs> Let's get into your return to Days of Our Lives. So six years after you gave up hope, uh, yeah. it was 2019, and I have to imagine it came as quite a surprise to you when Days contacted you about reprising the role of Jan for the Last Blast Reunion digital series for the Dual app. So tell us about getting that call. So I thought it was a crank call. <laughs> Am I being punked? Also, what is this? And, you know, to be honest, I didn't know much about the digital series. And so not to say that I didn't give it that much credence, but I kind of didn't because I'm like, oh, this is so random. And also it's not really for the show. It's for this online thing, which I wasn't sure if it was like real. I didn't know what it was. I didn't understand it. So. Um, I honestly didn't really get, I was, I was very excited to do it, but like there was zero expectation that it was anything that would actually bring me back to the show. Mm -hmm. Um, until I was on set, not until I was on set and, uh, I saw that, you know, we were shooting the way that they were shooting the digital series was exactly the way they shoot the show. So it was kind of in that moment that I was like, Oh, oh shit, like I'm back on set. Like I'm, I'm back with everyone and it's all the same people. Like it's all the same hairdressers and, you know, makeup artists and everyone. Like it's, you know, it real, really blast from the past. Um, and then, you know, Martha was very much like, you never know, this could, you know, mean that you're coming back. And I was like, oh, Martha, <laughs> I don't know about that. Um, and, uh, but, but when it was over, I kind of got a sense of like, oh, wow, like maybe, maybe that could happen. I didn't expect to get a call so soon after we had wrapped doing that. Um, and, and so I was elated. I mean, really nothing short of surprised and, and so happy because, you know, I think I had said it in some interview <clears throat> with one of the producers for days, but you know, I'm married and have a life because of this show in a roundabout way. I met my husband because I was at the Emmys. And if I hadn't been at the Emmys, I wouldn't have met my husband and wouldn't have my kids. And so it's not even just how much fun I had acting on this show when I was young. I'm grateful for my experiences because they really impacted my whole, my whole life being on days. 
um, has meant a lot. So to be able to be back has been awesome. Well, what was it like for you to find Jan again? I mean, you hadn't played her in so long, and yet she had been in a coma, so presumably <laughs> had not really developed that much, but still you had to step back in. What was that like? <clears throat> well, yeah, I mean, it was different for me physically, to be honest, just because 16 years is, you know, like your body changes and like I've had kids and stuff. So I'm like, oh God, they want me in all this tight stuff like I was in 16 years ago. And you know, Jan, like that's, that's how Jan rocks. Like she wears tight, fancy things because she's fancy and like, um, so that was a, a, an adjustment. But you know, she's such a one-tracked specific character with definitely a lot of layers, but, um, but at the same time, I know her so well. And I mean, what I had to do on that show with locking him in the cage and all the dialogue that I had to say over the years, I mean, you don't forget stuff like that. <laughs> that, that kind of stuff stays with you. And so finding her for me was, it was, it was easy. Mm -hmm. So have, have you, um, have you had to, do any juggling of like showings or meetings with clients with your day's schedule or have you sort of been able to to manage that seamlessly so right when covid kind of hit and the market stayed as strong as it did even before days but leading up to days um i hired an assistant who's been incredible and is so helpful and who now i can't imagine running my business without um, and so it wasn't really too difficult for, for me to be able to keep up with all of my, um, my quote unquote real work and juggle days. Uh, it was, it was definitely manageable, not alone, but now that I kind of have more of a team in place, um, it's, it's doable. And again, it, it would be one thing if I was maybe building my business, but I think because I'm so far into the game of having built my business, um, it, yeah, it, I'm able to kind of, thankfully, hold it all together. Including getting a very impressive Forbes.com article that great read. If anyone hasn't read it, they should go Google your name you. at Forbes because it was pretty, pretty great. Um, now, what would you say have been the highlights for you of Jan 2.0, if you will, and all of the antics that she's gotten into? Um, I would say one of the highlights for me this time around, I've worked more with Deidre um, and getting to know her and work with her has been really great. Um, her and Drake. Uh, also the entire wedding, the whole wedding thing that we did um, with, you know, <laughs> kidnapping Belle and <clears throat> stealing her dress and putting it on and surprising everyone <laughs> at the wedding um, was definitely a highlight for me. You know, the soap weddings are always this big kind of iconic moment. And, and I never thought Jan would ever put on a wedding dress for any <laughs> reason whatsoever. But just the fact that I, I got to get dolled up and have a faux wedding again was um, epic. And then I just loved all of the scenes where people are just tentatively saying, you know, what are you doing? where is Belle? And you know, Jan is so in her own world. She's like, I'm so excited. We're getting married. And everyone else is like, what is she talking about? <laughs> so um, those scenes were really, 
really fun. And they almost felt like I was doing theater again. There was something about them that, that the way that they were written, maybe because also it was um, more of the cast and it wasn't just, you know, with one person. Mm -hmm. um, just, they were great. So when did you find out that Jan killed Charlie? Oh, um, okay. So the April Fool's episode I thought was real. <laughs> um, <laughs> that whole episode where I think I'm waking up and Sean is by my bedside and and, you know, you, you, you guys know, we, I mean, I don't know, I'm sure other people do, but I don't know. When I read these scripts, no one gives me a heads up about anything. So I'm just reading these scripts, taking them for face value. And it wasn't, I think, until like the last page of that, or I might've called Martha. I think I called Martha and I was like, have you read this? Does Jan like get Sean now? Like, am I becoming the hero on the show? Like, this is great. And she was like, no, 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 Heather, no. It's, <laughs> it's your dream. <laughs> it's in your head. And I was like, oh yeah, yeah, that, 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 that makes more sense. Um, and it, it was just really sometime in there reading one of the scripts that I think came kind of shortly thereafter. First, I read about how he um, was a sexual predator um, and then kind of started connecting the dots and then, oh, of course, of course I'm the one who killed him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm protecting Claire. Of course, that's what she does. <laughs> makes, total, makes total sense. Right. Um, now, a desperate Jan is a dangerous Jan, this we know. Um, and it seems like she has good reason to be desperate as the truth about her crime comes closer and closer to being exposed and found out by more people. So we're heading into a very exciting part of the story for Jan. But what can you tease about what's coming up? So what I can tease about what's to come is that some characters on the show, I won't say who, are going to start to piece together what it is that she's up to. And in a panic, Jan is going to get a little desperate and take, uh, take measures into her own hands. And that's all I could say. Okay. It's definitely tune in. I will say yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> that's, it's, it, the, the stuff that's coming up is like one of those things that makes you feel really uh, grateful to have the job that allows you to get a sneak peek at what's coming up because it's yeah. exciting <laughs> and I imagine was fun to do. Well, what, what does it mean to you that Ron Carlovati has breathed such new life into your character and found so much for you to do over the past couple of years after this, you know, lying dormant, literally, I guess. <laughs> for years. Um, I love him. Let's just say I don't know him, but love him, but met him very briefly. And what he said to me, which I appreciated was how, how did no one bring you back over these 16 years? Like I, how has not no one brought you back? Um, to which I replied, I don't know. <laughs> but thank you so much for seeing, um, you know, the fun in her and, and the ability to, you know, write her uh, into the story to make, to, to make it fun. And, and I think that she's capable of anything, as we know. Um, I think that there are so many ways that she could be written into stories to cause trouble or to stir things up. And um, it's meant so much to me because I never thought it would happen. And 
to be able to do this again after so long is just, a, yeah, I'm, I'm very grateful. So as we're talking about your life and uh, when you think about the role that Days has played in your life from your first gig out of college to inadvertently playing matchmaker for you <laughs> and your husband, uh, <laughs> you know, popping back up in your life uh, in this new stage of life for you as a wife and a mom with another thriving career, what does the show mean to you? It's, it's something that's hard for me to put into words and to articulate, but it just, it feels very full circle. And, you know, my parents are no, no longer here anymore, but they drove me to that audition and they were, they, you know, they TiVo'd every episode and, and, and kept every episode on, on all of the, you know, VHS tapes. And I would watch it with them and, you know, they were so proud of my acting career and of, of landing that role. It meant a lot to them too. And now being a mom myself, it just, yeah, I don't know how else to explain it, but it, it feeling like this really full circle thing, um, that I will just circle back with saying, I'm so grateful for. Well, it's been so great to see you back on screen. I mean, having been there and covering the show the first time you were on, it's full circle for me to still be covering it when you're back, but you've been doing such an amazing job. It does Thank feel like Dan should have been there all along. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. We'll make up for lost time now. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Heather. This was great. And we hope- Thanks, ladies. Yay. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to Heather Lindell for being our guest. If you like this podcast, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to pick up a new issue on sale now and come back next week for another podcast. <laughs>